Hey, Fauna Church, Daniel Wagner here. I'm coming to you from a computer, which is a strange way to deliver this third sermon in the Left to Our Own Devices series. It's just fascinating that as we're in the middle of this corona crisis here in 2020, uh, our devices, these things that we've been looking at these last two weeks in this series, have become something that's actually helped us connect to people. It's helped us do good things like work. It's even helped us here in Mississippi get more uh, readily available access to some physicians through this C Spire UMC joint initiative for telehealth so that they can screen people so that we can get tested faster. And I said this last week, but want to make sure that I'm really, really clear. I don't think that technology is evil in and of itself. I think like all things, Satan can use a created thing to try to take the place of the creator. We can worship the gift instead of worshiping the giver of the gift. It's so easy for us to become distracted and disillusioned by technology. And in this third week, we're looking at this idea that when left to our own devices, we ignore real relationships. We ignore real relationships. And real relationships is the qualifier here. A real relationship as opposed to a fake relationship, is someone that you're actually connected to. Now, in this season of social distancing, uh, being connected looks different. We can't get within six feet of people that don't live in the same house with us. When we get sick, we have to quarantine ourselves for 14 days. But typically, a real relationship is really easy to distinguish from a false relationship. When we're so connected to screens, to TV, to social media, we find ourselves measuring up against other people. We find ourselves pursuing the affection, the love of relationships that aren't real. We're going after this groupthink or this approval of the world when we know that God's given us real people that we see day to day that we see week to week, that we see occasionally, but real people made in his image that are personal, that we need to live for, to love, and to serve. I brought last week this quote from C.S. Lewis that I love. He says it in Mere Christianity, that if a thing is free to be good, it's also free to be evil. So in this season, of our technology connecting us to things like work and family and friends, we can see the good that comes in technology. But in the same season and in the season to come, whenever we go back to normal, it's easy for us to see how technology can be evil. And I want to challenge you today as we spend the next few minutes together, listening to this wherever you are, to see the things that technology might be doing in your life that could indeed be used for evil. And you've seen this just like I have. Technology can destroy people. It can destroy relationships. It can destroy these real relationships. I don't think that I've seen it put any better than this article that was in the USA Today uh, earlier this year in 2020 that was titled this, are our devices the new secondhand smoke? Are our devices the new 
secondhand smoke. Now, everyone knows that secondhand smoke is bad. You know, if you've been around for a while, you probably remember until recently, you'd walk into a restaurant and there would be a thick howl, a thick haze of smoke, a cloud of smoke hanging around. And when you walked up to the stewardess or whoever was going to seat you, they would ask you what? smoking or non-smoking. But as science has moved forward, as we've seen the danger of not just smoke as someone who's uh, the active party in smoking, but what secondhand smoke can do, both in uh, the lives of old and young and men and women. Secondhand smoke is a known uh, negative factor in people's development and people's health. But this USA Today article asked, about our devices. Are they the new secondhand smoke? And uh, just want to share with you a few highlights from this. It says, on average, American adults touch their phones over 2,500 times a day. That's according to the American Psychiatric Association. And they go on to say this, that that fits the definition of addiction. This is how they define addiction, the APA, a condition in which a person engages in the use of a substance or in a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeatedly pursue the behavior despite detrimental consequences. So we know whenever we live on our phones so much, there are detrimental consequences. And it's easy for us. I'm not convincing any of you here now of what those detrimental consequences are. They take you out of the moment that you're in. Every time you pick up your phone, if you are uh, on average that 2,500 times a day, you become disconnected from the things that are around you as you become connected to the device that you pick up. You become disconnected from the things around you as you become connected to the thing that you pick up. And we know that God has intentionally placed us around the people that he's placed us around. Now, this article goes on to draw one particular dynamic in society that they've seen the most harm in this uh, social media phone device addiction. And it's that of parent and children. And here's what they say. That parental technology use is already an issue for the majority of American families. A recent poll commissioned by the American Speech Language Hearing Association found that among parents with children age eight or younger, they say these things. 95% say that their technology use interferes with daily opportunities for talking, playing, and interacting with their child without distraction. 95% of people say that it interferes with daily opportunities to connect with their children. 82% of people are at least a little concerned that their own use of technology might impact their child's communication, health, and development. 82%, a little over four in five, say the way that I use my device, this could be harmful for the way that my child learns to develop and learns to spend time, talk to people. Half, 50%, would not want their child to develop their own personal screen time or technology habits, either now or in the future. It's interesting, that last part, in the future. People know how much effect these things have on us, how much these screens, these devices have on us. But, we still hold on to them for ourselves. People would look at their kids and say, I don't want you to grow up and be as enslaved to this thing as I am. 
either now or when you're older. And this is really clear. The article goes on to say that some researchers have already found that there are links between excessive screen time, particularly the phone usage, and these things, attention deficits, behavioral issues, sleep problems, impaired social skills, loneliness, anxiety, and depression. And it's crazy to think that we, even though we know these things, pose such negative effects. They have such consequences. We still give so much of our time to these devices. Now, I'm not without sin. Lots of you heard me last week, but I just want to say again, uh, two weeks ago, I was in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip with our college ministry. And uh, when I was there, I used very little of my phone, right? I was around people. I was really living in a mission. And it was a beautiful opportunity for me to disconnect from that. Well, my screen time then was down uh, 103%. And guess what? I've been back in the States for a full week now. I got my screen time report on my phone yesterday, and it was right back up 103%. So I picked up right where I left off with several hours spent on my device a day. And I know that it's bad for me, yet this thing keeps creeping in, creeping in, and creeping in. And every time that I pick it up, I run the risk of with, um, when I'm with people of neglecting a real relationship. And when I, I wish I was with you in person and I could show you these pictures, but uh, there was a photographer a few years ago, love for you to look this up, named Eric Pickersgill. And he had this series of photos that he took where he took uh, pictures of people that were staring at their hand and they were ignoring the people around them. So there's uh, an elderly couple together in rocking chairs, both staring at their hand. There are people that are in the presence of uh a baby just staring at their hand. There are people who are at dinner together just staring at their hands. And it's very creepy, very dystopian. But we've all been there before. We know that there are people around us, people to enjoy, that we neglect. And it's interesting. This is what he said, what Eric, the photographer, uh, said, inspired him to do this. Uh, he said when he was at a cafe in New York, there was a family sitting next to him. And they were all disconnected from each other. There was not much talking uh, that it was a father and his uh, two girls. They had their phones out. And then the mom either didn't have her phone out uh, or she chose to leave it or put it away. Maybe she didn't have a phone, but regardless, she was the only one not on her phone. And she stared out the window, sad and alone in the company of her closest family. And we've all been there. We've all done that. But how much do we miss out on when we're so connected to these devices? How many of us do the exact same thing every day? And how strange must it look to those people that are around us? You know, we've all been there at a public place like a restaurant where one table is lively. They're full of life. They're enjoying each other. And the other one is filled with quiet people and they're peering down at the rectangles in their hand. Now, we stereotype young people with this habit or this disposition, but I've seen it happen in every age and every stage, and so have you. People can't be fully where they are because they long to be somewhere else. Or maybe we can't deal with boredom. Or maybe this information age has told us that we always must be connected, or we may miss out on something vital, important, or essential. 
you know, whatever it is, whatever it is for you, whatever it is for me, whatever it is in the hearts of people that's made us this way, we've lost the ability, I think, as a society to be fully present and to give someone the present of our presence. So I'm telling you, in my life, I'm fighting so hard as a husband and as a new dad to not neglect the real people that God's placed in my life for some distant attachment to something that's far, far away and far, far less valuable. See, I believe that God has placed us in the lives of others with an intentional purpose. And when I think about that, I think about uh, Paul in Acts 17, when he's speaking in Athens, when he's at uh, the Areopagus, Mars Hill, he's right down from the Parthenon. It's this uh, birthplace of democracy and philosophy and worldview. And here's what Paul chooses to say to these people, these learned people in Athens, these philosophical people, these deep people. He says this in Acts 17, 26 through 28. And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being." Paul says that God has decided exactly where we would be, exactly when we would be there. Now, this is not uh, some kind of predestination claim. I'm not saying that God's a puppet master up in the sky controlling your every wish, will, and whim. I don't think that's the way that God operates. He's given us a degree of freedom, but here's what he has done. He's done some things intentionally where he's put us in the city that we're in. He's put you in the family that you're in. He has divinely worked some things so that we could walk in them. And here's what I think, you know, we can often neglect to do the things that God has set up for us in advance. God's taken the time to give you your job, your family, your neighbors. And so often we can neglect to do the things that God has set up for us in advance. You know, I think about Ephesians 2, a beautiful chapter in the Bible, maybe one of my favorites, uh, but that passage in Ephesians 2.10, where God's workmanship, And he's prepared in advance good works so that we might walk in them. That before the foundation of time, God set up things for you and me to do. People for you and me to love. People for you and me to serve. Jobs for you and me to work. Good works to be done that God has prepared for in advance. And in that, God calls us to humility and to reach and serve people. He calls us to humility, something that these devices, that these screens, that they pull us away from. Those things make us want to feel prideful. They make us want to posture ourselves. But we're called to humility so that we may reach and serve people. Picking back up in 2 Corinthians 10, where we spent some time last week. This is 2 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul says this when people are attacking his character and his worthiness as an apostle and his competency as a Bible teacher. He says this in 10.13, We will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence that God assigned to us to reach even you. 
Now, what does that mean? Paul says, hey, I'm not going to be more proud than I should. I'm not going to boast beyond limits, but I'm only going to boast to what? The area of influence that God's assigned to us to reach even you. So he says, I'm not going to be super proud of my gifts or my ability or the work that I've done, but I'm going to be proud of the fact that God put me here for you. I'm going to be proud appropriately. I'm going to be confident in the competencies that God has given me. But I know that God has given me those things so that I can reach, love, and serve you specifically. You know, I think about Philippians 2, that Jesus humbled himself, taking on the form of man, and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when we posture ourselves on social media, when we build ourselves up, when we're prideful, what happens? We neglect the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to demonstrate humility, humility that God would call us to when he says, the least among you, that's the greatest among you. We know that people are attracted to humility. People are attracted to selflessness. It looks different. It stands out. I I think about the way that we're called to care about different things, to fill our mind with different things. Uh, and no passage puts that better than Philippians 4, uh, verses 8 and 9. It says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything that's worthy of praise, think about these things. And then what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. And that's so different than the way that we live. Those things are so different than the things that we traditionally fill our mind with. I think that technology discipline, whenever we are disciplined about the way that we use our devices, use our screens, the things that we fill our mind with, it's really twofold. It gives us two things. The first is that it allows us to focus on God's good things. It allows us to focus on God's good things whenever we're intentional about the things that we let in, the things that we look at, the things that we uh, dwell on constantly. It allows us to focus on God's good things. He says, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if it's excellent, if it's worthy of praise, then we're called to think about these things. Now, how many things do you think about often? I know it's a lot for me that are not true, not honorable, not just, not pure, not lovely, not commendable, not excellent, not worthy of praise. And that affects our relationships. You know, from the heart, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How are you talking to people? How are you treating people? How are you thinking about people? Because so often what we take in, it has roots and it goes to the deepest places and it affects the way that we can focus on God's good things when we're filled with so many of the world's bad things. The second thing that technology discipline gives us is it gives us the assurance that the most important things are God's things. It gives us this assurance of the most important things. This is when 
Paul says, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. So we have this line drawn between good things, holy things, true things, just things, honorable things, pure things, commendable things, all these good things, and then everything else. Things that we know are from the world and things that might be, you know, fine, but not the best things. But God says, focus on the best things. Focus on the best things. And that's going to give us assurance that these things are the things that God wants us to be a part of, the things that are going to equip us, the things that are a good and perfect gift. And this is what Paul says here in Philippians 4, that when we practice these things, when we practice the things that we've learned and received and heard and seen in him, that the peace of God will be with us. Man, we can know the peace of God. We can have a deep peace because of the things that we can see in others. And that means people can have a deep peace because of the things that they see in you and in me. We are called to be like Paul in this regard, that we live a public life, a life that people can see. It's an invitational life. It's a hospitable life here in the hospitality state. That when you let people in and they see the way that you treasure good things, you treasure holy things, man, that changes them. We can offer them this peace of God to be with them. But what happens when we're distracted by our devices? What happens when we're distracted by lesser things that these devices offer us? See, these distractions, they can crowd God out of our life. And they can lead us to this place of misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. No one wants to live a life like that. You know, we all have regrets. We're people. It's only natural for us to ask the what if questions. Those are the existential questions that probably keep most of us up at night. We wonder what could my life have been like if I would have done this and not done that. And when I think about uh, a what if question, I'm really taken to Luke 16, 19 through 31, which is a story of Lazarus and the rich man. And I think it's this ultimate story of misplaced priorities. And it goes like this in Luke 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted every day. And at his gate, there was laid a poor man. His name was Lazarus. He was covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died, was buried, and in Hades he was in torment. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off, and he saw Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and that none may cross from you there to us. And then he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, 
For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Then Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, there's a lot going on there in that passage. Uh, You know, some eternal things that are going on in that passage, some really deep, complex things that are going on there. But I want to give some assurance here that this is not a passage about how rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven, right? This is about trust and faith in Jesus now. And for these people that were living in the time of Jesus It was hope and trust in Jesus then. It was the idea that Abraham uh, would receive Lazarus into salvation because of Lazarus' faith. And this rich man was so distracted. He was so filled with the things of this world that he did not have faith in the coming Messiah. He did not have faith that God could and would save him. So we see in this example that misplaced priorities, they can lead us to neglect real relationship with God and real relationship with people. You know, that's what we see here is that this rich man, that he had everything, I mean, everything that he could need, but he neglected to go and do good to his closest neighbor, this man Lazarus, who lived outside of his gate. He was so caught up in the things that he had, the things that he wanted, the things that he was being consumed by, that he neglected to love and serve this real relationship. And that deep-seated love for self, that deep-seated love for stuff, crowded out faith in his life. It crowded out dependency on God in his life. It crowded out his pursuit of holy things. And in that, this man was separated from the Lord for eternity. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. And I don't want that for anyone that I know. Every person is an eternal person. They're headed to heaven or hell. And it's our privilege and our responsibility as God's people to offer the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how much you do or don't have. It's not about how you position yourself in society. It's not about how you posture yourself online. It's not about how you do in business. It's not about what type of family you have. It's only the blood of Jesus that offers us real security, lasting security, deep assurance that we will be with the Lord one day, that he secured for us an abundant life here and an eternal life to come. But there's this thief that's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he would love to distract us with our devices. He would love to distract us with the things of this world that are flashed before us on TV screens and in social media that we would pursue those things, that those would be the things that we think about and not the Lord. In this, I pray and I hope that we would be people who would prioritize real relationships, our relationship with God first and foremost, 
that he would be the one that we call on for salvation, that he would be the one that we wake up for every day, that he would be the one who motivates us, that he would be the one in whom we live and breathe and have our being, that he would be our all in all. And because of our faith in him, nothing else, we would be saved. And that because of our faith in him and nothing else, we would walk in these good works that he's prepared for us in advance. That we wouldn't be distracted from our relationship with him because of these devices. That we would prioritize that real relationship with the Father that we have by grace through faith. And that we wouldn't neglect real relationships with people. This rich man ignored Lazarus because he was so filled with stuff so filled with wealth, so filled with possessions. And whether you think you're rich or not, if you're listening to this, it means you have some form of device that you can listen to this on. If you're listening to this, you live in America. It means you're in the top percentages of wealth in the world. So whether you think you're a have or a have not, you have a lot compared to the rest of the world. And those riches, this pursuit of being the biggest and the best, of boasting in things that aren't the Lord and clinging to things that aren't the Lord in confidence. We can end up neglecting to serve people because we make our life about us. The Christian life was never intended to be about us. It was intended to be about the Lord. And that's my prayer for us, is that we wouldn't be people with misplaced priorities because those misplaced priorities, they can lead us to neglect real relationships with God and real relationships with his people. Would God give you the grace? Would God give you the strength? Would God give you the faith to put the devices down, to lift your eyes up from the rectangle in your hand or the rectangle on the wall and to see need and meet it, to see your need and find it met in Jesus Christ? Would we be changed and not be people who are left to our own devices.